0: All right, book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Um, my name's Danny. I'm one of the associate pastors here. i privileged to bring you God's word this morning. And we're in the book of John. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 35, so if you want to know where you're at. And before we get going, um, I wanted to ask you guys a quick question. Um, and it's a question we're actually going to run into uh, today in the passage, and that's uh, why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Now I know we have an amazing coffee ministry and awesome donuts, and the music's great. Is our worship team amazing or what? Let's hear it for the worship team! Yeah, see, we love them. Yeah, we're so blessed by them. Um, so maybe that's why you're here. You're like, oh, great worship. Uh, maybe it's uh, the Mickey Mouse hands, right, that we get to see every Sunday. We love Sharon. She's always doing such a great job. Sharon, we love you. Oh, yeah, give it up for Sharon. we blessing people. I like that. All right. Um, you know, there's different reasons and, and whatever that is today. Um, but, but the question is, in, on a real level, why are you here? Right? Why, do you, why do you come to church? Why do you claim to follow Jesus? Why are you following him? These are great questions. There was a poll taken um, in just in the US, a huge demographic of people um, by Pew Research Studies to ask people, why do they go to church? Some of the uh, top reasonings are are here, right here. Here's some reasons why people go to church. Some of the top, these are in the top 10, right? So one, um, for our children to have a moral foundation, um, which is not a bad thing, that's a great thing. That's a great reason. Um, Hopefully our kids are learning biblical morals um, to make me a better person. You know, I think this is a good one. I think some take longer than others, but you know, I think Jesus is still working um, to, to help us get through a hard time in life. You know, I think that's, that's a good reason. Uh, I think um, here's some other ones, some more common ones, to continue families' religious traditions. Um, some people feel like they have a, have a religious obligation to go. Um, others is to meet new people and to socialize. What, right? So that's why we give you guys the shell lay, So we can go like, oh, new people. Let's hang out. Um, but I think, you know, people will go, hey, I want to meet new people. Maybe the church is a good spot. Um, and then lastly, to please a family member or maybe your, spa- your spouse or a friend. Um, and if you, you know who you are, if that's you, welcome to church. Jesus loves you. Um, And these aren't all bad reasons, right? I think some of these reasons are actually pretty good. Um, I'm hoping that people would find that in the the family of faith that they go to. But maybe your reasoning's not up here. Maybe you did just get dragged in here today by somebody or or God's prompting you. And you don't even know why you're here. You just kind of showed up, right? Maybe you've been coming here for years. Maybe this is just your home church and you've been coming here for years. And it's just become the thing you do on Sundays. like you can't miss church. Like you wake up on Sunday, got to go to church because we can't miss church. But I think the deeper question is when we move past church is why do you follow Jesus? Right? Why have you decided to give him your life? And where are you at with that? Right? We, 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 we have this, um, this moment where we have to get to ask ourselves, where are we at with our present tense relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're the closest you've been to him, ever in your life and praise God but maybe you're not All right, what is a relationship with Jesus supposed to look like what does it mean to follow him what does it mean to be his disciple and, and what should that produce in our lives well, in today's passage we're gonna see Jesus calling some of his first disciples to follow him and we're gonna see some very important things we're gonna see who Jesus is and what that means for us as we choose to follow him And the effect that it should have on us and so look down with me in verse 35 we're gonna charge through 16 or 17 verses here so just hang tough Um, here we go so it says this again the next day John um, the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples he looked at Jesus and as he walked he said behold the Lamb of God the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus and Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard, him, heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, fir- he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, that is Jesus, and found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him can anything good come out of Nazareth and Philip said to him come and see Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit and Nathanael said to him how do you know me and Jesus answered and said to him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree I saw you Nathanael answered him rabbi you are the son of God you are the king Of Israel and Jesus answered and said to him because I've said to you that I saw you under the fig tree do you believe you will see greater things than these and he said to him truly truly I say to you you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for um, just your love and your grace for us your patience with us we thank you for your spirit that you give us that allows us to read your word and understand what You're saying to us, and so we just pray today, God, that you would awaken our minds and our hearts to the person of Jesus, to the call of Jesus, or that you would do a work in our hearts, Lord, that we could not shake, but we would have to respond with our lives. Would you do that today in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we see in this story and the thing that we're gonna be covering is that our relationship with Jesus needs to know, needs to move from knowing him through others to knowing him personally. Right, and so we all know the difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them personally, right? Uh, me and um, my good friend Pastor Jason, one time we were at the Triple Crown, um, we were at Pipe, and uh, Kelly Slater just... Finishes heat and he just won. We're on the beach. There's all these people. We're like, oh, it's Kelly Slater, and he's coming up the beach and he's running around and we're like right by the tape and we realize like he's gonna come into view and then my friend Jason, he's really into selfies. If you know him, um, I don't know if people still take selfies, but you know he was really into it. And so he's like, oh, let's take a selfie. So we're like, we're getting ready to take the selfie. Kelly Slater's coming around like it's a perfect moment and then all of a sudden Kelly Slater he sees. Our, uh, Jason's phone and says like, oh, selfie, and he poses. And we're like, oh, and we get it. And it, like, it looks like it's like a planned out photo with Kelly Slater. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we know Kelly Slater, right? And so it was this cool moment. and then, But you know, the truth is, we don't know Kelly Slater. Um, I know some of you guys might know him. I know Pastor Mike knows him because he was the, the chaplain for the Triple Crown for years, so he's super popular. Um, but, but here's the thing. We all know the difference between knowing somebody knowing about someone. If you guys have ever been in online school, like an online college or university, a lot of the times they make you guys introduce yourselves on this discussion board to the class. Like, hey, just tell us what your name is, where you're from, some fun facts. Well, one of my last classes here asked me, um, who's the most famous person you know? And it's funny because I actually know someone who's famous. Um, but there are other people who are like, oh, I know Chris Tomlin. And I'm like, wow, all right, Chris Tomlin. And, and other people are like, I know this famous football player and this and that. And then one of, the, one of my classmates wrote, well, the most famous person I know is Jesus. I'm like, okay, all right, like, we get it, you know. But no, it, is, it, was, a good, it was a good answer. It was a good answer. Like, the most famous person he knew was Jesus. And, and, and I think it's it was kind of challenging. Um, And I think most of us here would claim to know about Jesus. The question is, do you know him? Do you know him personally? See, what we see in this first part of John is, is, um, is we're coming off the heels of John the Baptist's ministry, right, that John the Baptist is now then transitioning his ministry over to Jesus, like we learned from Mike a couple weeks ago, that John the Baptist was the forerunner for Christ. He was a voice in the wilderness crying out and pointing people to Christ. He had his own following. John the Baptist had his own following and he is now pointing people to Christ. But see when Christ hits the scene it is no longer about him just pointing to people but he is now introducing people to Jesus saying hey God used me to get you to this point but now you need to have a relationship with Jesus to go any further. And what we see in John the Baptist's ministry is is hopefully what happens with us in the ministries that he's entrusted us, that we're engaging people, that we're building relationships and you're like, man, this is a really cool relationship and as important as this is, I need you to go actually and help you enter into your own relationship with Jesus. We transition people into that more important relationship. And as cool as John the Baptist is, he trumps himself twice by saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. right, so you got to put yourself in this environment. John the Baptist, at this point in time, he is the man. He is calling the whole nation of Israel to repent, right? He's baptizing people, and a remnant of Israel is coming out to the river, getting baptized, confessing their sins, right? He's the first prophet that Scripture records stepping onto the scene since the Old Testament has closed. Right, God was doing a lot in between the testaments, but he was the first prophet worthy that God was like, I'm gonna write your name here because you have a very important role to play. And this man, when he was given the insight, when the Holy Spirit made it apparent that Jesus is the Messiah, there was no other thing to do than to transition his whole entire ministry to Christ because that was why he was there. Right, and so he's just hanging out with his homies, the disciples, right, and and Jesus walks by. Right, and, and, and everyone just seen it like a day or two before. The clouds parted, the Spirit of God in like a dove-like form fell on Jesus. Behold, this is my beloved Son. You're like, whoa, what's going on? And so John's like looking at his disciples like, you saw everything I saw. Like, behold, the Lamb of God. Like, I can't take away your sins, but he can. He's the Messiah, right? He could only take them so far. Jesus had to take them the rest of the way. And amazing as, as all these things were, right? And all, these things, all the things that Jesus is and, and how he's being presented, right? He's, he's the king. He's our master. He's our teacher. He's our example. He's Lord. I love how the gospel of John uses John the Baptist to, to introduce Jesus, right? John the Baptist is now going to give his final reason to his disciples why they should leave him and go to Jesus. And what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. And what we see, this point, it's very important that that Christ's death, atoning for our sins on the cross, and is making a way for us to be restored to God, is the central point of Jesus' ministry. He could have been introduced in in, in a dozen ways, but behold, the Lamb of God. And up to this point, the disciples, they only knew the Messiah through John the Baptist. They only knew Jesus through what they were told by someone else. What we see here is something that everybody needs to do. We need to move from knowing about Jesus through other people to actually entering into a relationship with him. And here's where I feel like a lot of people can get caught up. So we have John, right, who's kind of like a Baptist preacher, right? John, a Baptist preacher, John the Baptist, no? Okay, anyway, right. so we got this preacher, um, his name's John the Baptist, and so it's, it's kind of like this, like you guys come and hear Mike on, on Sunday mornings, or you guys go to whatever church you go to, and you hear um, the, 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 the pastor preaching, and you're hearing him like, okay, I believe these things, okay, yes, God, that's who he is, but what happens is our relationship, it, it stops in this environment, it stops here. Like they only know God through their Sunday morning attendance at church, hearing the preacher tell them who God is week in and week out. And don't get me wrong, it is a very important part of Christianity. It's important to be a part of the body and to sit under Christ-centered teaching. It's been happening for 2,000 years. So this is very important. But every person needs to have a relationship with Jesus that doesn't end after Sunday when we get our fix at Raising Cane's or Farm to Barn or wherever you go, Cafe Holly, whatever your spot is. Um, right? When we give our life to Christ, he invites you into a relationship, a personal relationship where you walk with him. And this is hard for us because our whole lives really, it's just been me and myself and I, right? It's, it's me in my head and it's kind of me against the world and it's, it's my first day of kindergarten. It's my first day of high school. It's like and you've been doing life by yourself really, but when you give your life to Jesus, when you enter into that relationship, he comes into that space. So now it's you and Jesus, right? It's you walking with Jesus. He comes into that space with you. We're given his Holy Spirit, where Jesus is, is guiding and directing us as we pray to him, as we read his word. To know him as we hear from him. He uses people in the body to help navigate and and guide and direct by the Spirit speaking through the body. Being in a relationship with Jesus means being with Jesus day-to-day, moment-to-moment. And honestly I think it's really easy to not really think about this, right, but instead just kind of come to church on Sundays and then just kind of living our own life throughout the week, kind of rarely thinking about God's presence in the ins and outs of our daily life and our work. It's easy to slip into autopilot on Monday, right, doing most of our life on our own with the occasional prayers. And it's not everybody, but I think all of us can relate that we have had these seasons. And so maybe some of us here feel like that's where you are at. Jesus is inviting you deeper into relationship with him into right, to a daily reading of his word, that you would open up the word of God where he has spoken to us and has so much to share with us about who he is and who we are in Christ. Praying with him, speaking with him, getting more involved in the body, ohana groups to study something where, where he can help guide and direct us through his word and through his people, allowing Jesus to take us into his heart deeper than any one person could. And for some of us, others, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. We've been saved for a bit, and what I think what happens with more mature believers is life gets crazy. Life gets crazy. Life gets busy, right? And, and we end up waiting for that Sunday sermon as well, right? Because it's just it's just a busy week, and all right, I'm just gonna, I just I can't wait to get to church to kind of hear what the Lord has to say, right? Or, or or maybe just in the world full of podcasts and sermons and audiobooks and YouTube. Or we can still end up living off of other people's relationship with God. Instead of growing into maturity in our own relationship with Him. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use those things because He does. And I honestly think that kind of media content is is what we should be taking in more times than not. More than whatever we're watching, you know, on the flicks, right? Or Paramount or whatever. Um, You know, the amount of time we spend just scrolling on the news or whatever social media, you know, app you use. So I'm not here to tell you to stop listening to sermons and podcasts that build your faith up for the Lord. I'm not here to tell you to stop listening to Christian audio books that put fuel on the fire for Jesus. Because we should be taking more of that that in because because what we take in is what we become. What we give our time to, our eyes, to our ears to, it's what's forming us into its image whether we know it or not. But the danger here is that we can be so consumed with Christian content and media that in between those times, we're not taking the time to have that intimate, one-on-one, ever-present relationship with Jesus. And we've drifted from intimacy with Him to just knowing a lot about Him and satisfied with our informed Christianity. And so our relationship with Jesus is directly reflected by how much we speak with him like any other relationship how much we speak with him how much we listen to him your time reading his word letting him speak to you but probably most important our obedience to what he shows us in verse 38 and 39 Jesus said what do you seek to the disciples who are following which fun fact here uh, those disciples are Andrew and John the apostle so the writer of the book of uh, the Gospel of John, John himself, he never names himself in the Gospel of John. So he is one of these guys so It's Andrew and John, right? And Jesus turns to him, turns to them and says, what, are, what do you seek? And they say, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour, which is like 4 p.m in the evening, so shops are shutting down, things are closing up, they need a place to say, He's like, hey, we wanna come and stay with you. We wanna live with you, right? And so in this kind of awkward moment where the disciples are trying to start following Jesus, he's like, man, what are you, what are you here for? What are you seeking? Which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more in our next point, but their answer is, where are you staying? Which is kind of a weird thing to ask, but it makes sense to, because to become a disciple of Jesus means you need to stay with Jesus. Live with Jesus. Do life with Jesus. That's that word stay, right? is the same Greek root to the word abide or remain, which for those of you guys who are familiar with the book of John, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me, who abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit, right? And so right out the gate in the book of John, we see the disciples remaining, abiding with Jesus, seeing how important that relationship is. And so some of us today maybe who feel at a distance with Jesus, he's calling and closer and saying, come and see. Come and see more of who I am and what, what he wants to do in our lives. And another part of, of having that relationship with Jesus is, is our relationship with Jesus calls us to follow him with complete trust and allegiance. Look back down with me, verse 40. It says, one of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ, brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which is Peter. And the next day, Jesus purposed to go into Galilee, found Philip and said to him, follow me. How many of you guys in here are, um, are my sports people? Who, who's like, we're, I'm into sports, I love sports. Yes, I got a one shaka on the left. Two, three, four. There's a little bit of honesty. There's like a half-eye. Like, is he going with this? Do I admit that I like sports? Is this going to be good or bad for me? Right? It's cool. It's fine. It's all right. You know who you are. All right. So I am going to show my hand real quick. I hope I don't lose any friends over this. I am not a huge sports guy. What? Okay. I like to watch sports, and I like to play sports. I just don't do it a lot. All right? So it's like this. I like to surf, but I am not a surfer. And anyone who surf with me can testify. Um, and so, but I like to surf and I like sports, but I'm not a sports guy. I'm not a surfer, right? So, but I do know um, one thing about sports is they demand your allegiance. So, I am a Raiders fan, all right? So, I mean, you'll even say I got a Raiders hat, Raiders stuff, and, and we're gonna do good this year. Go Raiders, right? We did decent in the draft. I thought we did some good trades. Um, I'm a Lakers fan, even though I don't watch basketball. Um, But growing up, I did, and I was a huge Kobe and Shaq fan. I was like really into it when I was younger. My parents would put me to bed. My dad would be still watching the the game. And after they put me to bed, I would get off my bed, lay on the carpet, crack my door open, and put my ear to the door so I could hear the score. So like I said, I like sports. That's my preface, okay? Um, But sports demand allegiance. They have a huge following. When they say follow me, we follow, right? There is this allegiance there and some people are so committed to their sport teams they invest time, money, energy, watching, reading, articles, this, that, stats, and they're just constantly like have ESPN going on in the back of their minds, right? And, and they're doing all this stuff. They, they buy all the gear. They, they, you know, they just, it's all up in their office. It's all on their cars and their, their trucks, right? It's, it's what they're known for. They are hardcore followers, right? And, and so for me, the amount of worship put into sports, you know, and, and, and just the amount of allegiance given to sports always blows my mind. Um, I was once described a Saturday morning um, in a sport-driven community, like in, in the States, like in the South, okay? And it was a Saturday morning. Thousands of people would wake up early, or right? They would put on special clothes with their sacred colors that represented their objects of worship, images of animals or images of man all over their clothing. They would paint their faces. Some even painted their bodies. And they would put all kinds of festive decor on. And they would gather in large coliseums, singing chants and screaming at the top of their lungs, shouts of praise and adoration. See, if I were to describe that to an ancient pagan society, this would look a lot like a ritualistic worship ceremony. But in today's day and age, this is really just your average college or NFL football game right? And, and so it's, it's and I'm not, I'm not hating on it, okay? Um, I like football, go Raiders, right? So what I'm saying is I'm trying to show you in all this is that the allegiance that sports demands a lot of its followers, there's this kind of all-in commitment and allegiance. And let me be clear, God has used sports in many ways to draw people to himself. There's amazing sports ministries out there. God has used Um, there's believers within these sports that are doing great things, actually um, quarterback Derek Carr is speaking at a men's conference this summer at UNLV. So like God uses it. So I just want you guys to know that. What I'm trying to highlight is the allegiance in our attitude towards that thing. Sports is just one example. Surf is another example So, because you're like, I don't watch football. I like to surf, right? So that could be that for you. Right? But in, in, in more real ways, it's, it's, it's more, more likely maybe your career, right? More likely maybe your pursuit of education, pursuit of, of wealth, right? These things that we put our trust in and give our allegiance to. We follow whatever person, path, or system needed to see that pursuit or commitment through. Right? So it's, it's, it's what this person is known for. You are known for by what you are most committed to. Have you ever given your life over to anything like that? And if so, what is it? And I'm sure most of you guys know where I'm going with this, that when Jesus calls people to follow and when he calls us to follow him, he is calling us to go all in with him. And not that we need to erase those things, but that our all-inness, that our allegiance, our life's allegiance, should be to Christ and Christ alone. That it would be Christ above all else and that everything else would fall underneath. That our lives would be sold out in the pursuit of Jesus and making him known. Earlier in the passage, Jesus turned and, and saw the disciples. He said, what do you seek? Right, what do you seek? And it's, it's cool as that, these are the first words that this gospel records Jesus saying. So the first words that come out of Jesus's mouth in the Gospel of John is, what are you seeking? And the amazing thing is that he's doing that with us today. He's asking each one of us today, what are you seeking? Why are you here? See, Jesus was omniscient, right? That means he was all-knowing. Right, later on in chapter 2, we find out that he knows what's in all of man's hearts, right? And so the question isn't really for him. The question is for anyone who would follow him to actually search their motives for following him. He wanted them to search their motives. What are you seeking? What do you hope to get out of following Jesus? This is what he's asking his disciples. Is it to be a better person? Maybe to get you out of a hard spot? Maybe it's just the tradition that you've been following for years. And I love the disciples' answer because they say, where are you staying? We want to be with you. We want to stay with you. We want to become your disciples. We want to follow you. Wherever you go, we want to go. There's this all inness with following Jesus. And so this is John's gospel where he's showing Jesus calls some of his first disciples. But we know that there's four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In right? all four Gospels, they kind of give us a different perspective, a different angle on the life and ministry of Jesus. And so we can kind of see these similar events from different perspectives of the different authors and apostles. And so this is John's perspective, but I'm going to show us a couple more from Mark and Luke of Jesus calling his first disciples and what this actually looks like. So look up with me in Mark chapter 1. It says, as he, this is Jesus, was going along the Sea of Galilee he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, by dad, in the boat with the hired servants, and he went away to follow him. So in Luke, the key, they, they, he takes this narrative a little bit further, same, same instance, and it says this in Luke chapter 5, it says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And you go a little further into Luke, um, when he calls Matthew, the, 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 or Levi, the tax collector, it says that when he, Jesus, went out, he noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. All right. So what do we see going on here when he's calling his first disciples? People are leaving everything immediately. Now when I read this text, I'm not saying that we have to go quit our jobs, right? Whatever job we have and then go join full-time Christian ministry. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that whatever we used to live for, Whatever was our reason for waking up, whatever was our drive, whatever we had given our lives allegiance to, we leave that behind and Christ then becomes that for us. Because He encompasses all of that. He is sovereign over our jobs. He is sovereign over our lives. He's sovereign over our families. He's sovereign over our finances. He's sovereign over our, our pursuits. And He calls you to follow Him. The old is gone. You are a new creation. The old is past. The new has come. Right, we see him doing this here with Simon Peter, right? He's saying, hey, Simon, the old is passing. I am making you new. You will now be called Peter, right, which means rock, right? Jesus saw people not as they were, but as who they would ultimately become. And so here's the thing. A lot of times we hear the call from Jesus and we want to follow him, but here's where we struggle, is that we're down to follow him, but we like to bring some of these old identities and old securities with us, and then just add Jesus to our lives. But when Jesus calls his disciples, he says that everything that you once pursued, everything that you once lived for, should pale in comparison to being called by the Son of God into life with him and for him, for the renewal and redemption of the world. That everything else should pale in comparison. But what happens is, like in the parable of the sower and the seeds, right, in the four soils, right, is that, is that we receive the word, we're growing with Jesus. Maybe it's a fresh growth. Maybe we've been growing for a long time. But we've allowed the weeds of the world to distract and choke out our ultimate desire for Jesus, his will, and his kingdom in our lives. And so for, us, for some of us today, maybe our following Jesus has become stale, routine, distant, half-hearted. And we don't mean to, right? but we prioritize our lives around these other allegiances, over, uh, around our future goals and what they'll benefit us. See, there's these, there are these things in our lives that parade themselves like better saviors, better pursuits, worldly ideas, worldviews that convince that we can serve and minister in the church, yet all the while pursue our own dreams and goals, never asking God what he thinks. But we do ask him to bless our goals and our dreams but as long as I go to church and, and, and serve, I can then behind the scenes plan my own life without really asking him what he wants, but letting him know what we're doing and telling him to follow us. Okay, hey, follow me, Jesus. I'm going to go do this. Bless me. Take care of me. The God of financial wealth will ultimately let you down. Your careers will not last forever. Family members will let you down or leave people will let you down, you will let you down because you're not omniscient, you're not omnipotent, you're not all loving but God is and he's saying follow me, I will never let you down. God the Son came down the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving Jesus and he says follow me, trust me with your life. I see your plans, I've got better ones. And see maybe today the plans that you have that you're working through are the plans he's given you and praise the Lord. But see, Jesus loves us so much that he calls for total allegiance and trust because he knows that the things that our hearts tend to put their trust and allegiance in will lead us away from God to a nominal, only partly in, Christianity, disguised as truth. And so here's the thing. Here was was my conviction this morning as I was studying this passage. that The book of Hebrews says that the leaders and the elders and the pastors of a church are held accountable for the souls of their congregation. And I could not with integrity stand accountable before God without saying that when Jesus calls you to follow him, he calls you to be all in. He calls you to surrender your whole life that he is not an add-on, he is Lord, he is King, and he is God, and he has come, and he has saved you from your sins, to saved you from yourself, he has saved you from the world, He has saved you from Satan's lies and the traps that are so deceptive and alluring, And he's follow, and he's saying, follow me follow me into this new life let me restore you back to God let me lead you into life abundant so are we all in for Jesus or have we let other things in our lives become our ultimate goal so why do the i'm so okay we get it so why do the disciples still just i mean there's there's like you would think there'd be a little bit more wrestling when you're leaving your dad and the whole family business behind He's like, man, I know I've got this amazing, you know, John and James. I know I've got this amazing fishing business that I can inherit, right? So why why would they just be like, K-pop, so I just leave this whole legacy and business and family and just immediately leave everything? Matthew, the tax collector, who was probably rich beyond all get out, just boom, get up from the tax booth and go, I'm following this guy. Why? Why so quickly? Why everything? And it's because what they knew about him, it's because what they have been told about him. In this very passage that we see, it's because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because he is the Messiah, the anointed one, whom Moses and the prophets and all of history have been pointing to, who would come and bring in the kingdom of God. Because he is the Son of God who crossed from heaven and earth to reveal to us the glory of God and make a way for us back to him. Because he is not only the King of Israel, but he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has entered into our world and to lead his people back to himself from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light that we would know him, that we would know truth, and that we would know eternal life. Do we not see these massive claims of who Jesus is in just this one passage? Why did they choose to follow him? Why did they leave everything? Was it because they didn't get into rabbinical school? They're like, oh cool, a rabbi wants me to be his disciple. I don't think so. What was it? It's because they were told he was a lamb of God who takes away their sins. They knew that they had sinned. They had committed sins against God. And they carried that around. They had rebelled against the God of heaven and earth. They knew something was wrong. They knew there was more to the sacrifices happening in the temple. They knew that there was more to the new laws that were being added by the religious leaders. There had to be more. So they seek out this prophet named John the Baptist at the river who's saying, come and be baptized and forgiven of your sins. Cleanse. But then while they're there, this very prophet points to Jesus and saying, he's the one who can actually cleanse you from all your sins. He's the one who can actually restore you back to God. See, we have all sinned. We've all been separated from God. We've all deserved wrath. We all deserve judgment. But here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So why did they leave everything and follow him? Because like Andrew told his brother Peter, they found the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. We've been, we've been promised that he would come all the way from Genesis through the Old Testament, that he would come and that he would see God's people freed, restored, and renewed through the work of the Messiah. That when Jesus approached Nathanael, I love this story. When he approached Nathaniel, and because he's omniscient, he knows all things, right? He's saying, "Nathaniel, I see that you are an Israelite without deceit, which is pretty much saying, I see that you are a forthright and honest Israelite. I saw you when you were underneath the fig tree, right? And like Nathanael's like, "Whoa! Well, how would you, how do you know this? Like, like you must be the son of God to know these things about me. And if Jesus is the son of God, this changes everything. The long-awaited kingdom that they had always heard about is breaking in in the person of Jesus. Do you see the gravity of what is being said in this passage? Why they would just leave any old allegiance behind and follow him? Because God entered the world. God entered the world. We were lost and we were apart from him, drowning in our brokenness, dead in our sins, and God comes in and says, follow me. I'm the lamb who takes away your sins. I'm the king who will defeat your enemies, sin, Satan, and death. Follow me into the abundant life. Let me cleanse you. Let me redeem you, forgive you, turn from your old ways, turn from those allegiances that will let you down, and follow me. I am making a way. I am the way. And as amazing as what everybody else says about Jesus, I love what Jesus says about himself. In verse 51, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's be honest. When we all first read that, we're like, what is he talking about, right? We're like, I don't know what that means. So when a Jew would hear this, they would immediately understand that he is referring to a story in the Old Testament in Genesis about a guy named Jacob, who was an Abra- uh, a descendant of Abraham and an ancestor of Jesus in the lineage of the Messiah, right? Important guy. Um, and Jacob, he's asleep, and God gives him this vision, right? In Jacob's dream, he sees this ladder where angels are going up and going down, right? This is what Jesus is referring to. And what this is symbolizing is this point where heaven meets earth. Right? And then Jacob wakes up from this vision, from this dream, and he says, "Like man, truly God is in this place. Right? This dream was a reference to that moment where God was interacting with Jacob, but more so when Jesus would come and heaven would meet earth in his very person. That Jesus is the link between heaven and earth, that he's the revealer of heavenly truth to men, the one mediator between God and man. And so Jesus is saying, I am the opening of heaven. I am the intervention of God. I am the silencer of every lie. I'm the lifter of every oppression. And my coming to you means that heaven has opened. And if you keep your eyes on me, you will see heaven break into earth. Because God truly is in this place, and I am him. See what we see Jesus in this moment is not only claiming to be all these things, but he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the Son of Man, whom the prophet Daniel wrote about. Where he wrote, and behold, in the the, the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is what's going on. This is our Jesus. This Jesus steps on the scene and he calls people to follow him. He calls us to follow him. This is why that when the disciples fully understood all these things, so the little they knew about who Jesus was, they could not move fast enough to drop everything and follow the Son of God, the Son of Man, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That this Messiah, the Son of God, who who came to restore and redeem humanity would call me into a relationship. He would say, follow me and use me to see men come to him. Women come to him. The whole world come to know who Jesus is. And so Jesus sees us following him today. And he turns to all of us and he asks, what are you seeking? What are your intentions? Are you all in? What other king would get off his heavenly throne and descend into a humanity that has rebelled against him? Allowing himself to be ridiculed, mocked, cursed, and then nailed to a cross for your and my sin?" What king and what savior would would live a perfect life on behalf of those who rebelled against him and then offer them his righteousness? What savior what king would lay his life down for his enemies? What savior would be honest enough to say hey guess what you will face tribulation in this world? Things are gonna get hard, but I have overcome the world. Follow me. What savior promises that no matter what that he will never leave us nor forsake us? Jesus Jesus went all in for us on the cross. He's already proved his worthiness. Don't run after other saviors. Don't follow any other person or pursuit or political party. Follow Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And just like he purposed to go into Galilee to call Philip, and just like he found Doubting Nathaniel, questioning his pedigree, Jesus finds us as we are with all our preconceived notions and in his love and his perfect purposes, he pursues us, redeems us, and he calls us into the family of God and he calls us to follow him. He loves us too much to leave us looking at other people as they say, hey, look at Jesus. He's like, no, 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 come. Come with me. Enter into a relationship with me. Come to know me yourself. He wants our whole heart. He wants to lead you into a life with him. It's not the blessings or the healings or the provision. It's him. Now, don't get me wrong. He can bring those things, but it's about him. And when we orient our lives around him, our relationships were supernaturally, but naturally start to heal. That bitterness that we hold on to will start to dissipate as his forgiveness saturates our hearts and we just freely then want to forgive others. When we follow him and we obey him, when we follow in his steps, blessings will supernaturally but naturally start to flow. I'm not talking about the big house or the fancy car. I'm talking about a life filled with love for others. A life not consumed with what other people think about me. But a life blessed by integrity, honesty, and righteousness that that, that he produces in our lives. A contentment that no lacking of anything can take away. A full heart that is produced by our radical generosity towards others. A guilt-free and a victorious life as we continue to ask God to forgive us of our sins and know that he's forgiven us and we keep turning from our sins and asking Jesus to help us overcome those in our lives. freedom and a transparency where we don't have to hide our, our shadow self and the things that we struggle with. We've surrendered that to Jesus and His Spirit is continuing to work on us day by day. See, we don't follow Jesus for these things. We follow Jesus for Jesus because He's worthy, because He's God, because He's the Messiah. But it's from here, this relationship and truly knowing Him, that the abundant life flows. It comes from a full surrender, being all in and asking the Spirit to help you trust Jesus more and more as he makes you more like him. And when we do that, our relationship with Jesus then leads to telling others about him. Right in verse 41, right, it says that that Andrew found his brother Simon. and said we found the Messiah, right, he brought him to Jesus, verse 42. Right In verse, in verse uh, 43, it says that Jesus purposed to go and find Philip and once Philip found the Messiah, it says in verse 45 that he had to find Nathaniel and said, to him, we have found him who Moses and the law and the prophets have been talking about, Jesus of Nazareth. Right, Nathaniel, oh, what good can come from Nazareth, right? See, some people will look at this whole entire passage and do this whole teaching on evangelism because we do see that, right? We see people coming to faith, people bringing other people to faith, but what I didn't want us to miss is who Jesus is being shown to be. Who he is and, and who the gospel writer is trying to show us who he is. Right, how Jesus is starting his ministry and these claims that are being said about him. Right, and how he, he, he shows us who this is who he is. But I also don't want to miss that when we do give our lives to Jesus. When he says, yes, we'll follow you. Yes, we're all in. Yes, Lord, take my life. And then he then uses us to share him with others. See, I've heard evangelism teachings where they use illustrations like, you know, there's a, world war, there's a worldwide virus, okay, and people are dying. You have the cure. Wouldn't you give it to them, right? Or, okay, you're on a plane, and the plane's going down, right, and you have all the parachutes. Are you gonna give out the parachutes? Right, and so we hear these illustrations, and I think they're appropriate. They have their place. Because, you know, but what I think in this passage, what I see more is there's this an excitement to tell others about Jesus. All right, don't get me wrong, there is a gravity, you know, to sharing our faith that no one is promised tomorrow and we will all stand a cannibal before God. But right, if you are not in Christ and you are apart from God in your sin, you are headed to an eternity apart from him in a place Jesus called hell, which is eternal judgment and torment. But God in his love and in his grace and in his mercy has made a way through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So we wanna share that with people. So there's definitely an urgency But what I love about this passage is that when they find out that Jesus is the Messiah, instantly, oh, my gosh, I got to tell my brother. Like, I got to tell my brother. Peter's going to flip, right? Like, I got to tell him, right? Like, Philip, like, oh, my gosh, I got to tell Nathaniel. That dude's always studying Scripture. He's always under the fig tree, reading his Bible. Man, that guy's Mr. Theology. He is going to trip when I say, I found the Messiah, right? They're excited. They can't wait to tell their brother, can't wait to tell their friends. Are we excited about Jesus? Are we excited that he has come for us, that he has purposed to find us wherever we are, that he saved us, and we have a relationship with him? Are we excited about that? Because when we're excited, we go to our family members, and we say, hey, we found the Savior of the world. Are we go, we excitedly go to our skeptic friends like Nathaniel, But right? the beautiful thing is, we do not have to have all the answers. I love this part because Philip, you know, he goes to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, man, like, Ain't nothing good coming out of Nazareth, which is honestly kind of cool because that means Nathaniel knows his Bible, right? Because the, the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Interesting. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? So we know that. So, and yet yeah, was a stab at, Na- at Nazareth, but we see that Nathaniel knew his word. And so Philip comes to him, right? And he's just like, Man, what good can come from Nazareth? And I love Philip's response. He just says, Come and see. Come and see. And we don't have to have all the answers, but we'll walk with you. Come and see as I follow Jesus. I don't know the answer to that question. That's a great question. Come and see. We'll do this together. And I'm not going to blow up and burn bridges when I don't have all the answers. I'm not going to give up on my friend after he's rejected me for the hundredth time. I'm not going to try to win every argument every time. I'm going to just say, come and see. And here's the thing, is we are in people's lives, and we have a relationship with Jesus, they would actually hopefully come to get to know who Jesus is through our relationship. All right, don't get me wrong, I'm all for apologetics. Our youth group right now is going through an apologetic study on Tuesday nights, which is super awesome. Um, And then we as a church are actually gonna be starting to do an apologetic series after church on Sundays here coming soon, so I'm excited about that. So we do believe that we wanna be ready to have an answer for the hope that's inside of us, okay? Like we do want that. But the beauty and the simplicity of this passage is that you don't need to have all the answers, you just need a relationship with Jesus, and then you can say, come and see. We invite people into our lives so they can see Jesus in our friendship, so they can see Jesus in our daily rhythm, so they can see Jesus in our families. That's our invitation to people, come and see. And that's why this morning I felt like we needed to be reignited in our understanding of who Jesus is, his love for us. Right, what he came to do, what he's accomplishing in our lives, because no matter where we are at today, whether we're freshly coming to him or, or maybe being awoken from a, a, a sleepy state, refreshed from a dryness, no matter where we are, we all need to pray for the Holy Spirit to do that work in our hearts. See, the Holy Spirit had to prepare the hearts of every single disciple who would come from him, come for him, right? The Holy Spirit was drawing people into John the Baptist. Right to, to, to prepare the way for Jesus, the word says that only the Father can draw people into the Son. So we know the Holy Spirit was already bringing people to Jesus, already preparing their hearts to be able to understand his words and follow him. So if you're struggling today, you want to be here, but you're struggling to be here, we can pray. God, help me to want to follow you. Lord, help me to want to prioritize you above everything else in my life, to surrender everything to you. Maybe for some of us, it's, Lord, help bring me back into an intimate relationship with you. I feel like I've drifted. I feel like I've allowed the weeds to come and and choke out my spiritual life, and I need to do some pruning. Would you help me to do that? Lord, I want want to drink some Holy Spirit coffee and, and, and awaken to the truth of the reality of Jesus, me in him and him in me, and then being sent out to share with others. And so we ask God to pour out his spirit, awaken us, renew us, refresh us, revive us, right, grow our love for him, that we would be all in, or that our intimacy with Jesus would flow out into ministry for Jesus. And so I didn't want to do this whole evangelism teaching today. No, I wanted to know where are you at with Jesus today? Because it's going to be from that relationship that our excitement builds and our desire for him builds that we can't not be thinking about sharing him with others, praying for people in our lives. And so Jesus is asking us, Are we all in? Are we all in? Are we willing to give it all? Are we willing to surrender all to our risen and gracious King? There is no other thing in this world that can satisfy your soul which was made by God and for God. The only one who can do that is Jesus, the Son of God. So don't go and run back out to the things that are lesser than Him. Run to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be with Jesus. Live for Jesus. Let Him use you and let that excitement brew inside of you to know Him, love Him, and to make Him known to the world. Jesus calls each one of us today. And he says, follow me. And so today, let us surrender everything that would be holding us back and follow our good and gracious King Jesus. Amen.